Matthew chapter 12, the 12th chapter of Matthew. of Matthew chapter 12 the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented of the preaching of Jonas and behold a greater than Jonas is here and the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now with God helping me, I want to speak on the greatness of our Lord Jesus. He's far greater than Jonah, far greater than Solomon, far greater than any man that ever lived. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So I want to speak of the greatness of our Lord Jesus. Greatness in his pre-existence. Greatness in his incarnation. Greatness in his boyhood. Greatness in his growth as a teenager in the 20s. And then greatness in his public ministry, greatness at Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and Golgotha, greatness in his resurrection, and greatness in his ascension. First of all, his greatness pre-existence. Before the world ever was, there's reciprocal love and appreciation between divine persons. Proverbs 8, verse 29 when he appointed the foundations of the earth, and it was by him, was brought up with him, as daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. John chapter 17, verse 5, our Lord Jesus said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, which I had with thee before the world was. And verse 24 of John 17, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, for thou, that they may hold my glory, for thou lovest me before the world ever, the foundation of the world. So he is great in his pre existence. The nearest and dearest of human relationships are but as strangers compared to the intimacy that existed between the Father and the Son, and that from all eternity. And to think that this is the one God gave to infinite sufferings, so sinners like ourselves can be saved. Holy Father, who with yearning of eternal love to see, hatred in my bosom burning, thou dost give thy Son for me. O blessed Lord, what hast thou done? How vast a ransom paid, cause only well-beloved Son upon the altar laid.
that he is great in his incarnation. When our Lord Jesus became incarnate, he became something he never was before. A perfect human being. But he never ceased to be what he eternally was, the unique, eternal Son of God. Our Lord Jesus had two perfect, complete natures in indissoluble union in his one blessed person. He had full, absolute deity and had sinless, holy humanity. And he had to be both in order to be our Savior. He had to be a man in order to die, because God never dies. But the one who suffered was able to suffer infinitely as a unique, eternal Son of God. His humanity made a sacrifice possible. His deity made a sacrifice of infinite value. Uh, the poem, I don't know who wrote it, but every line is precious. Like man he walked. Like God he talked. His words were oracles. His works were miracles. Of God the true expression, a man the finest specimen, full of humanity, crowned with deity, no taint of iniquity, no trace of infirmity. Eki homo, behold the man. Eki dehus, behold thy God, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. We can consider the two natures separately. We should never divide his person. We shouldn't say he was asleep on a pillow as man and he ripped the wind of the ways of God. We shouldn't say that. But it would be accurate to say when we have a special view of his humanity, we have a special view of his deity. And that's so often true. In his, in his birth, as a little baby, a special view of his humanity, we have a special view of his deity in a fourfold way. Luke 1, verse 35, Gabriel announcing his conception to the Virgin Mary, said, verse 35, That holy thing which shall be born of thee should be called the Son of God. Then, when he was born in Bethlehem, God wanted to tell somebody, but most of the people in Bethlehem were asleep because it was nighttime. But the shepherds were awake, keeping their flocks by night. And the glory of the Lord appealed to them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, Luke 2, verse 10, Fear not. For you all are bringing good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people, for his oneness in the city of a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isaiah 9, verse 6, Unto us a child is born, especially with his humanity. Unto us a son is given, especially with his deity. One more, Luke, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled with respect unto the prophet of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So when we see him as a baby, especially we his humanity, but we see his deity in a special 
four way, four, four way. Then in John chapter four, he was wearied with his journey. He could be wearied because he was truly human. But then we see his deity. He knew all about the woman's past, even though I never met her before. And then in Mark chapter four. He was, he was asleep on a pillow in a great storm and, and he was so deep in sleep he didn't wake with the movement of the ship in the great storm. A special view of his humanity. But then they woke him and he rebuked the wind and the waves. A special view of his deity. At least four of his apostles were fishermen and they had seen Many a storm, a calm after storm. They never ever saw such a sudden calm after storm. Every other calm those fishermen saw. The wind stopped blowing, but the sea kept raging quite a while afterwards. Not this time. He not only rebuked the wind, he said to the sea, Peace be still. No wonder they exclaimed in Mark chapter 4, What man of man is this that even the wind? And the sea obey him. And every time he shed tears, he shed tears because he was perfectly human. He shed tears three times. And in John chapter 11 verse 35, he shed tears at the grave of Lazarus. He could enter in fully to all the sorrow Mary and Martha were passing through. We believe his tears tears were deeper than that. He knew in just a few minutes he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. But there at the grave of Lazarus he entered fully to all the sorrow caused by sin and death and his senses were never dulled by sin as ours have been. But then we see especially with his deity he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus come forth. And he was dead, came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, when he beheld the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. He wasn't weeping because he knew that cruel, shameful treatment they were going to give him. That's not why he was weeping. He was weeping because he knew the terrible consequences of the rejection of him. And we see, especially with his he knew what only God knows that they had passed the time of the visitation. And then Mark, uh, Hebrews 5, verse uh, 7, he offered up prayers and supplications of strong crying and tears, especially in Gethsemane. We see especially with deity in Gethsemane. He healed Malchus's ear after Peter cut it off. And then at, at, at the cross... A special view of his humanity, suffering. We also have a special view of his deity. John 18, verse 5. Jesus, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. He had perfect divine knowledge of all he's going to have to suffer. Yet he willingly went forth. We have a special view of his deity at the cross. John, 18, John 19, verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things are now accomplished, saith, I thirst. He had perfect divine knowledge. He exhausted the wrath our sins deserve. 
So whenever we have a special view of his humanity, we have alongside of it a special view of his deity. So he's great in his incarnation, and he's great in his boyhood. Luke chapter 2, when he was 12 years of age, Mary and Joseph found him in the temple, both hearing them and asking them questions. That was perfectly fitting for a 12-year-old boy to be hearing the doctors and asking them questions. But they in turn asked him questions. All that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. I want to link that incident with two consecutive verses in Psalm 119, verse 99. I understand more than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditations. No one meditated on the word of God like he did. Psalm 2 is God's king. Psalm 1 is God's man. He's the only one who perfectly lived out Psalm 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law of he meditate day and night. And then verse 100. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. And no one kept the precepts of God like he did. Now, and then later in that chapter, he went down with Mary and Joseph to Nazareth and was subject unto them. I hope all our young people are listening. The, the day we're living in is not conducive to our young people being submissive to anybody. But the perfect example, he was submissive to Mary and Joseph, even though they weren't perfect. But he was perfect. And even though he astonished all that heard him, which Mary and Joseph didn't do. So, he was great in his boyhood. Then he was great in his growth as a teenager and in his 20s. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 is a marvelous summary of 18 years of the life of the Lord Jesus. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. His development was natural, but it was perfect for every stage. May the Lord help everyone to grow. Second uh, Peter 3, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 1, verse 8, verse 1, knowledge puffeth up, but love buildeth up. Now, God expects every one of us to grow in knowledge. But in our growth and knowledge, we should grow in love too. Love, the knowledge puffed up, but love buildeth up. And, and then he was great in his public ministry. He perfectly represented God. So that he could say, John 14, verse 9 to Thomas, He that has seen me has seen the Father. And he, he was completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. May we be empowered more by the Holy Spirit and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. He was great in his public ministry. John Stubbs told me something very interesting about Dwight L. Moody. There was a city over Great Britain they're considering inviting Dwight L. Moody to their city 
for gospel meetings. And one clergyman who wasn't really very keen on Dwight L. Moody, he said sarcastically, does Mr. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Of course he didn't. But the man who in favor of him said, it's, he doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy but it's obvious the Spirit has a monopoly on him. That's the right monopoly. I hope he has a monopoly on every one of us. He should have control of every department of our lives. Then he was great in Gethsemane, Golgotha and uh, Gabatha and Golgotha. In Gethsemane, if ever the will of God seems hard, think of his devotion to the will of God. He'll make your trial sweet and you'll appreciate his devotion to the will of God more than he ever did before. He, uh, Matthew records, he prayed, O oh my Father, if it be possible. Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as thou will. And the second and the third times they pray a little differently. O oh my Father, if this cup may not, or cannot, pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Praise God, that prayer was answered. There was no other way. God's claims against sin must, must be met, and he must suffer infinitely so that we can be brought to God. Uh, and uh, so now it's important for every one of us in our private prayers when it comes to praying for anything personal we should submit our wills to God's will if, if we insist on having our own way it might be something God knows we need but it might not be his time if we insist on having our way God may do with us what he did with Israel Psalm 6 verse 15 he granted them their requests but he sent leanness into their soul God will never send leanness into our soul if we submit our wills to his will but I'll tell you what it may mean it may mean a trial hot against the flesh but looking for our best spiritual good at Edmondson, Alberta an overseer told me of a Mennonite brother that he knew. And the Mennonite brother found out from the doctor that he had terminal cancer. So he told the Mennonite brother in the next meeting, and every one of them prayed. But he, that Mennonite brother told the overseer, not one of us prayed if it was God's will. God has given me ten years but it's ten years of misery. I don't think there's much point in being preserved for ten years of misery. When I was having gospel meetings with Ed Doherty, he told me about Ron Dart. I don't know if you've all heard of Ron Dart, but Ron Dart was an exceptionally gifted young preacher in the Toronto area. He and another brother ran into a train. And Ed Doherty said, I don't believe God's people were submissive enough to the will of God when they're praying for Ron Dodd. When he recovered, he said he didn't know his wife. So he divorced his wife and mother of his children. It would have been better if he went home to heaven. And there's a sequel to that. It had been advertised for weeks that George Campbell 
there's going to be ten meetings in Mount Vernon, Washington with David Richards. And just as they were supposed to start, he probably had cancer. So they telephoned me across the country, and I drove across the country, and Tom Hoy preached with David Richards until I got there. At Arlington Conference on Labor Day weekend, K.S. Scott publicly prayed for George Campbell, that he would only be spared if it was God's will. And I commended Gaiscoff for praying that way. Later, that same conference, George Campbell showed up himself. And I told him what Gaiscoff had prayed, and when I told him, he said, notice what he said. I don't want to happen to me what happened to Ron Dodd. He knew there was a, it would have been better if he went home to heaven. And he didn't want that to happen to him. So it's important to submit our wills to God's will. And I should tell you, uh, Miss Gwen Perrier, she couldn't sit up like you are. She'd been lying on her back for 16 years. She was looking forward to being able to sit up. There wasn't the least bit of bitterness in her. She was completely submissive to God's will. Since I saw her in 1943, in a sanatorium in San Fernando, California, she's not only sat up, she's left the sanatorium altogether. Not only that, God has given her a husband. Not only that, God has given her children. Thank God she is submissive to the will of God. And I encourage every one of us to submit our wills to God's will. And I hope we all prove what is our good and acceptable and perfect will of God for us. God knows the very best for each one of us. But there's three conditions. A yielded life, a separated, a yielded body, a separated life, and a transformed mind. Um, George Truitt made a statement worth quoting. To discover the will of God is the greatest discovery. To know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest accomplishment. And then to quote the late David Livingston, I'd rather be in the will of God in the heart of Africa than to be the Prime Minister of Great Britain. And Great Britain is a much more important country when he said that. So may the Lord help us to submit our wills to His will as the Lord Jesus did in Gethsemane. And then he was great at Gabbatha. Um, we read in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, Our Lord Jesus witnessed a good confession before Pilate. And part of that good confession was a silence, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Our Lord Jesus was majestic in his speech, majestic in his silence, unmoved by threats to speak, unmoved by threats when he had spoken. So, he was great at Kabatha, and he was great at Golgotha. Just when Judas went out to betray him, John 13, verse 31, the Lord Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Because at the cross was the greatest 
display of moral excellence ever seen in a man. And when they were putting the nails through his hands and feet, that was painful. But then there was a sudden increase in pain when all his weight was suspended by the spikes. Most of us are old enough to imagine a normal human response. Come up with the worst kind of words against the ones that put him there. But think of his words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our Lord Jesus was living out in perfection what he taught. Matthew 5, verse 44. I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, to good them that hate you, and pray for them that spitefully use you, and persecute you. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was characteristically controlled by the Spirit of God, verse 55, and he died like the Lord Jesus. Verse 59, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That was like the Lord Jesus. But the next was much, it took much more grace to do what he did next. He got down on his knees and with a loud voice prayed, Lord, lay not the sin to the charge. When he said that, he fell asleep. He was already hurting with boldness that already hit him. So he died like the Lord Jesus. During World War II, I was given a leaflet about a brother, a born-again Christian who prayed on his knees every night before he went to sleep. One day when it was raining hard all day, the sergeant came in from the field with muddy boots. And he saw the Christian at the far end of the barracks praying on his knees. And he took one of those boots and he threw it the length of the barracks and hit the Christian. That's what he was hoping he would do. The sergeant went to sleep. After the Christian finished praying, he went up and got the other boot, cleaned off the mud, and shined those two boots up to perfection and put them underneath the sergeant's bed. When the sergeant woke up in the morning and saw those two boots and remembered how muddy they were, he remembered what he did with one of them. It just all broke up to pieces to think the Christian could do that. But the Lord Jesus was just living on perfection what he taught. Matthew 5, verse 44. And I read later that the sergeant could say the day or so later. No wonder what a testimony. And I should refer to one more. Mrs. Lou. Mrs. Frank McMillan. One, her husband was one of the seven overseers that signed my letter of combination. She was born in China. Her father was a medical missionary. And her mother had to return to the USA to have a serious operation that she needed. And right after they went to the USA, the Boxer Revolution went, went, came out. And the Boxers wanted to get Mrs. Lou. They said among themselves, we got to get Mrs. Lou. She, full of the Jesus doctrine, and she tells all the women, we got to get her. And they tried to get her. When she would be speaking to the women and found out they're coming, she'd go to the next village. She did that two or three times. But then the next time, she said, I can't keep on doing this. Because if ever they found me here, 
They're not going to kill me. They're likely to kill everyone in this house and they might kill everyone in the village. I can't keep on doing this. So she went to the boxer headquarters and knocked to the door. Who are you? I'm a saloon, the woman you're trying to get. And so after a few days, they brought her out to behead her. And she asked the man in charge, can I pray? He didn't know anything about that. One of his men said, they believe that the Lord is living and they can hear their prayers. So the man in charge said, okay, you can pray, but hurry up about it. So she got down on her knees, and in Chinese she prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So thank God, she too died like the Lord Jesus. So great in Golgotha, great in resurrection. Elijah went right through a rock-hewn tomb with a stone at the door. And later he appeared in the midst when the doors were shut for fear of the Jews. So he was great in this resurrection. And he was great in his ascension. He went right straight to the highest place in heaven. No place was too high for him. So we spoke of the greatness of the Lord Jesus, great in his preexistence, great in his incarnation, great in his boyhood, great in his growth as a teenager in his 20s, great in his public ministry, great at Gethsemane, great at Golgotha, great at Golgotha, great in his resurrection, and great in his ascension. I'm going to close by quoting the poem uh, by F.W. Pitt, the maker of the universe. The maker of the universe as man was made a curse. The law claims the laws which he had made unto the uttermost he paid. The, his holy fingers made the bow that grew the thorns that crowned his brow. The nails and pierces hands were mined in secret places he designed. He made the forest whence it sprung, the tree on which his body hung. He died upon a cross of wood, yet made the hill on which it stood. The sky that darkened o'er his head, by him above the earth was spread. The sun which hid from his face, by his decree, was poised in space. The spear that pierced his, shed his precious blood was tempered in the fires of God. The grave in which his form was laid was hewn in rocks his hands are made. The throne in which he now appears was his from everlasting years. But a new glory crowns his crown, and every knee to him shall bow. Shall we pray? O God our Father, we draw near to thee at the close.